How words weave spells. As I rode of the avenue, it rose before my eyes. I can see it now, lined with great, smooth-trunked trees whose branches meet far above me. The still air is flooded with peace, yet somehow expectant, as it seemed to me once when I was in King's Crypt Cathedral at sunset. On and on I wander, beneath the vaulted roof of branch and leaf. And all the time the avenue is yesterday, that long approach to beauty. Images in the mind, how strange they are. I have been gazing at the sky. I never saw it a brighter blue. Great featherbed clouds are billowing across the sun, their edges brilliant silver. The whole day is silvery, sparkling. The birds sound shrill. Hello and welcome to Starry Girls, a fortnightly podcast about books with a dash of absurdity. My name's Alicia. And I'm Lindsay. This is our podcast about I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith in our castle series. All right. On the back of... Ooh, we have several different copies here. Several oh, editions. Yeah. Some may say too many. <laughs> Three books, two people. All right. All right. You want to read it? Okay. <clears throat> I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. Dot, dot, dot. This is the diary of Cassandra. I actually don't know how to say it. Mort, Mortmain? Mortmain is how I say it. I, I don't yeah. like it. Well, we'll get to that when we talk about names. <laughs> no skipping okay. ahead. I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. Dot, dot, dot. This is the diary of Cassandra Mortmain, which tells of her extraordinary family and their crumbling castle home. Cassandra's father was once a famous writer, but he now mainly reads detective novels while mm-hmm. his family slide into genteel poverty. Her sister, Rose, is bored, beautiful, and desperate to marry riches. Their stepmother, Topaz, is in the habit of striding through the countryside wearing only her Wellington boots. But all their lives will soon be transformed by the arrival of new neighbors from America Cassandra finds herself falling in love. Well, that's a bit of a spoiler there, isn't it? Right on the back cover. I get, yeah. Because mm-hmm. really, Cassandra doesn't find herself falling in love until quite a ways into the book. Yeah, and it's really not the point. It's not the point. It's not the point. So a lot of times, yeah. But my book actually says by the time she pens her final entry, she has captured the castle mm-hmm. <laughs> and the heart of the reader. <laughs> it's it's so true. I mean, she captures my heart right away, right Aww. away from the beginning. I love Cassandra. But um, I also want to just give our, our usual spoiler warning. Mm. If you haven't read this book, this podcast will contain spoilers. Mm-hmm. So you should go read it. Hit pause. Read the book. Much worse than the back of that book. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's We're not really... only going to tell you who she falls in love with. <laughs> yeah. We're going to spoil all of it. So um, go read it and then come back because it's really, really good. Yeah. So first, uh, let's just talk about Dodie Smith for a little bit. What do we know? Okay. Dodie Smith was an uh, English lady, obviously. She um, was... I actually don't know exactly what year she was born in, but she grew up in... Uh, the 20s, 30s, um, she had a really interesting childhood. Her father died when she was just a baby. Ooh. And her mother moved back in with her family. So Dodie was raised in a house with both with her grandparents, uh, two aunts and three uncles and her mother. 
and they, it was like pretty idyllic. <laughs> they all doted on her and like spoiled her and like played games with her. And really, she always had a very active imagination. And she has four, I believe, four volumes of memoirs about her life. I am currently reading the first one called Look Back in Love. Um, Look That's Back a lot of memoirs. Love. It's a lot of memoirs, but they're very funny. And her mm-hmm. family was just like a lot of eccentric characters. And um, so, yeah, that's, uh, she eventually married and moved to England or sorry, moved to America and then moved back to England. Um, she was a playwright. She was actually mostly well known for her plays in her lifetime, not her novels, but she is most famous for writing the 101 Dalmatians, which I'm sure everybody knows. I did not know that. What? I did not know that. You didn't know that she wrote the 101 Dalmatians? No. What? Despite all of our conversations about its sequel, The Starlight Barking, which what? I have been at great pains to acquire. I've you have no I memory, have no memory of, of any of this. <laughs> oh, who have I been talking to about The Starlight Barking? I don't barking know, but this, this is time? for Mia. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Dodie Smith wrote The 101 Dalmatians, and then she went on to write the sequel called The Starlight Barking, which is a fantastic book about the title is amazing yeah and i um had so you mean it's not it's not like 102 dalmatians no (laughs) it's so much better than the 101 dalmatians i'm just gonna take a brief little sidetrack here to tell you what started barking because everyone needs to read it it starts out with um the two dogs from like pongo and pongo pongo And, and his dog wife, whose name I can't, I'm blanking on. Um, but anyway, they wake up one morning and all the, every single being in the world is asleep except for dogs. What? And they can't wake them up. And then they discover they can do this thing that they call whooshing, which isn't really flying, but it's like zooming along like a foot above the ground. What? And they whoosh around England trying to solve this mystery of why everybody is asleep. It is so good. That's amazing. Yeah. No, you need to read it. Whooshing. They whoosh. Yeah. They whoosh. Okay. All right. Well, now I'm regretful I have not read that book right now. Yeah. Well, I'll lend it to you because I recently went on a quest to find the old edition I used to have as a child and lost, and I did indeed find it from a used bookstore in Halifax for $1. Wow. And they mailed it to me. Cool. All right. Well, okay. let's move on. Let's, let's move on to the actual subject of the subject. Okay. So, prompt time. Do 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 do. <gasps> Are there any cats in this book? Yes, there is one cat, Abner or Ab, as he is called. I thought it was like Abelard. Oh, right. <laughs> no, you're right. Abner was my mom's old cat, oh. so I have Abner stuck in my head as a cat name, but they yeah. call him Ab. Yeah, but they yes, do. It's is Abelard. it Ab or is it Abe? I think it's Ab. I always thought like you pronounced that Abe. A-B? There's an E. No, only in the full name. I thought she... Oh. Well... No, I'm, gonna... s- I'm side-eyeing my book. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead and look it up while I talk about Ab, Abe, okay, Abelard. Okay, we'll talk about him. Okay, so Ab or Abe, um, I think it's Ab, he is kind of makes fleeting appearances. He's, it's Ab. Yeah, it's Ab. There's no yeah, e. but there is, it is Abelard? 
quite yes. the names they have for their animals. I think they're like mythological, aren't they? I feel like oh. Abelard must. I don't think they just made that up, but maybe they did. But mm. Heloise, I feel like that's like Greek. I'm, I'm, I don't know you, what I'm talking about. I think maybe. If anyone know. knows, you can uh, tweet at us <laughs> and let us know where these names came from. Cause we we'll probably have, look it up. We're pretty obsessed with names. It's true. We are. Um, nice. Yeah. So Heloise is the dog, the bull mm. terrier, who I'm going to mention in this seg- segment too, because she does a lot. She has a lot more of a role than Ab. I would agree. I would definitely say that this one was more dog-centric. It's more dog-centric, although there is a cat, which I appreciate, mm-hmm. floating through, and he mo- is most notable for one time sitting on Cassandra's lap and keeping her warm while she's writing. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the main thing he does in yeah. this one scene. Yeah. 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 Okay, prompt number two. Did you mention Heloise? Oh, didn't I say her name? You did. And you said you were going to talk about her more in this segment because it was more dog centric. And then we just moved on. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So Heloise is their dog, who is a bull terrier. Um, Alicia was recently horrified to find out what a bull terrier was. But Cassandra says that even though people think bull terriers are ugly, Heloise is exquisite. What do you have to say about that? To be fair, I have a bias against small dogs in general. They're not like tiny, tiny dogs. They're not big dogs. No, they're on the small size of medium. So we're Canadians. I think we can reveal <laughs> it's that. relevant. It is. <laughs> because we have a famous Canadian who famously oh, yes. has a bull terrier as his sidekick. And just because he's obnoxious, don't hold it against bull terriers as a breed. No, but I've never liked the look of them. So the mm. Canadian is Don Cherry. He's like a obnoxious Canadian oh. treasure <laughs> who comments on hockey mm. and dresses in a very loud suits. And I'm pretty sure dresses the dog up in matching suits. Does he? I think I remember the dog mm. wearing like a matching fedora. Oh. This is all extremely <laughs> vexing. Anyway, the dog, like they have big faces, like yes, big noses. Big, long, kind of like an anteater. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you just nailed it on the head there. <laughs> you hate anteaters? <laughs> no, but I don't like the look. Okay, that's shallow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I just have to say I have known a bull terrier. I'm sure it was nice. It was very nice. Most dogs are. He almost died because he got his head stuck in a chip bag. Oh my God, that was the dog? (laughs) He was a bull terrier. Oh, well, of course you would get that head stuck in a chip (laughs) bag. (laughs) But he was resuscitated and he was Mouth to mouth by its owner. That's right. That's impressive. So impressive. Yep. Yeah. But we should note that Heloise is a very loyal, um, frequent mentions in the book. Yeah. She's along for a lot of the adventures. She, in fact, goes to London. She goes to London just by sheer, you know, tenacity. She's like, I'm coming with you on this train. And I like how Cassandra's always having to improvise leeches for her, like taking the belt off her dress or like finding a piece of string. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So Heloise is great. Mm -hmm. So maybe rethink your position. On I know. Terriers. I just, I, I'm, it just doesn't fit in with my picture of the whole situation. This dog. <laughs> what kind of dog would you like Heloise to be? Uh, more like a scrappy farm dog, I guess. Hmm. I quite like the idea of Heloise being a bull terrier because it's just another odd layer, odd layer. Like I just like 
having this weird anteater looking dog living in a castle and just, I don't know. It's, yeah. You're right. It's out of place. But for that reason, I, I like it. You like it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I was thinking, um, like a French bulldog was the picture I had in my head when I read bull terrier for some, mm-hmm. like I just, the bull, I went the different way. So more of a scrunchy faced one. I was okay. still not pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Heloise. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, moving on. <clears throat> okay. This magic moment. Oh. Your favorite part. Oh, my gosh. So many great scenes in this book. Yes. I have to say. Mm-hmm. I think the two dinners. So the one dinner at Scotney. Scotney. And then when they invite, when the father <laughs> invites them over right. and they have to figure out a meal, they have to figure Entirely out what people can of ham. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to, and they even provide them the dessert that they gave to them. And they also gave them the ham. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and like they have to get Stephen to make a table mm-hmm. and they just push it up against a window bench to save them having three chairs. And then they borrow stuff from the vicar, which means that they have to invite him invite over. Him. But they do also love the vicar. Yeah. But it's nice because it's at night and they've got like... Um, Cassandra's really trying to set a romantic scene for Rose, Mm -hmm. but it's so romantic for us too, because she's like the candlelit castle tour Mm -hmm. and then the swim through the moat, which is just sounds so wonderful, even if very, very cold. Yeah. That part didn't sound so wonderful, but no, also led some nice like romanticism to, cause I had kind of pictured the moat as like a gross place. Yeah. Cause they don't have the ability to maintain but it mm-hmm. sounds like because it's an underwater spring the water is actually nice and not mm-hmm. just swampy and there's the swans yeah i know it's a beautiful scene when they swim in the moat and float on their backs. and, and then like they can see the castle lit up and like the mm-hmm. vicar and someone else are like looking at the window to them mm-hmm. that's a really nice one yeah and then i think the my third favorite scene would probably be the midsummer's yes night um the ritual. The ritual. Mm-hmm. And then the beautiful like music discovery back at Scotney and mm-hmm. the gardens and the fountains mm-hmm. and yeah, just very romantic, all one of those scenes. Yeah. They make me want to have dinner parties and engage with people, and that's rare. <laughs> <laughs> if only you had a castle to host. Only if I had a rundown <laughs> castle, which I could just serve people ham. <laughs> oh, oh. That would just be perfect. Mm-hmm. Also made me want to listen to more <laughs> classical music. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could ever tell you. Is it Debussy? 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 Debussy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I would like to listen to those songs yeah. that are mentioned. Yeah. Maybe we could um, oh. have a little, put a little in here. We'll insert a little clip. That's, yeah, we will. We will listen to it and then we will <laughs> put it in here. Right yeah. now. Okay, I think my favorite scene might be when they meet the Cottons for the first time and Cassandra's mm, in the bathtub. Yeah. And um, 
Neil and Simon, the two American so brothers, show up. And yeah, it's so funny. And she like has to get them to hand her her towel. And she's they've just been dying clothes green. So like <laughs> Neil comes in and he's like, what's going on? And he's like, there's a child in there. And then like her arm comes out for the towel. And he's like, goodness, it's a green child. Because <laughs> her arm's all dyed green. <laughs> I like that they also just like bust in the house, like thinking yeah. that what no one lived there. Probably. I mean, what? technically it's their property. It right? is technically their property mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah the and like they've just seen topaz but with like yeah, wearing <laughs> naked without legs naked wearing her boots so they they're like there's this ghost up there and it's got no legs she's like oh that's just my stepmother <laughs> and then rose of course but also her green arms mm-hmm. and yeah it just sounds yeah it's so fun it sounds so hilarious yeah yeah it's quite funny um mm-hmm. and yeah pretty much other than that, any other scene with Topaz in it? Because mm. I think she's hilarious. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Would you give this book to your daughter? Well, I would. I definitely would. Um, I think this is going to bleed a little bit into our there. section because there are some problematic things, I think, mm. in terms of the feminism. Mm. But there's also some great things. Mm. So I think... One of the really great things of this book is the relationships between the female characters. Okay, yep. So the two sisters and the two sisters with their stepmom, Miss Marcy, the librarian. Mm -hmm. There's just like a lot of women really supporting and caring for one another in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Which, although there are some other less great aspects, I think um, this makes, for me, this book far more feminist than something like, for example, The Handmaid's Tale, um, which, you know, anyone who knows me knows how much I loathe Margaret Atwood's work. But um, The Handmaid's Tale, I think, is like super unfeminist for a lot of reasons, one of which being that all the women hate each other. Mm. And in this book, I think it's just really lovely to see these relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like how... Um, it's just a whole bunch of different kinds of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would agree that there's definitely, there's a lot of emphasis on looks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone is good looking mm-hmm. except for Miss Marcy, but like we don't know if she's good looking or not. It's not, yeah, mentioned. It's not mentioned. She's the mousy librarian. Mm-hmm. And Cassandra, it's never really stated that she's like beautiful, but. It says that she is good looking. Cause, but she's just better looking when Rose isn't around. Right. She pales in comparison <laughs> to her beautiful, beautiful sister. Well, and then there's Topaz. Yes. So my goodness. Topaz, like Rose, I think pales in comparison to Topaz, it's said. And yes. Rose is very beautiful. Yeah. I think, I feel like Topaz is supposed to be not like classically beautiful, but just like very striking and like such a personality and like her hair yeah. is like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. just such an authentically her own person mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, the emphasis on getting Rose married off is a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. But I like that they're they're all doing it because Rose desperately wants it. It's nothing right. that's ever been pressed on her. Like her father isn't no. at all involved in this. Topaz is like, well, I'll help her get her shot. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I think that it's very much just like, they even parallel themselves to mm. um, 
the Bronte and Jane Austen right, heroines yeah. and they they have this game where they're like, what would you rather be like a Bronte or an Austen woman? But it's very much like parallel to the Pride and Prejudice plot, right? Where mm. there's like the beautiful older sister, right. the slightly less beautiful next in line. Intelligent sister. Mm-hmm. Intelligent sister. And then there's these two rich men mm. and, but it kind of takes that marriage plot sort of like flips it on its head a little bit because this is in the 1930s, this book takes place. Right. So while in Pride and Prejudice, it's like the whole community is like, this is what you do. Yeah. In this book, it's kind of like, she's kind of really like scorned if she's seen to be doing this. People are like, cause Rose is just making a play for him cause he's rich. Yeah. Um, and Rose herself is conflicted about it. Yeah. And everyone knows that she just wants to get married to this guy because he is rich because mm-hmm. she just cannot handle being poor. Yeah. And yeah. they seem to be have slid into quite it does. It's a genteel poverty in the back of the book, but it's it's getting beyond that. Yeah. I'm not sure what it, I, I think it's just like it's romantic poverty. Is that what they're meaning by that? Well, genteel poverty, I think, was. Like they're upper class, but they're not. Yeah, sort of like well-bred, quote-unquote, whatever Mm. that's supposed to mean. Um, People who had homes and had like a certain amount of income, but just weren't like, couldn't have the status. Right. But like with these people, they're literally like going hungry. Yeah. And I think that is not genteel poverty. I think that's poverty. (laughs) I think that is poverty. I guess I think the genteel part maybe describes the fact that though they're incredibly poor, like these rich people want to hang out with them because Topaz is a noted model and Mm -hmm. he's a famous author and like both the daughters are beautiful and Stephen apparently has the looks of a Greek god. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean like, so they're not, like they don't present as being like, yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, the not great feminism is that neither Rose or Cassandra has been brought up to have any skills right that's the other reason rose has to get married mm-hmm. is because she literally miss marcy sits with them and was like all right like what can we do and like yeah rose can't do anything but also doesn't seem to want to do anything no she doesn't um she doesn't even help clean she does a little bit, but not nearly as much as Cassandra and Topaz. Yeah, she usually goes on her walks, <laughs> which is like always generally coincides with the clean. Like, yeah. Yeah, she's a bit useless. Um, and Cassandra also, like, she's 17, 18 years old, and yeah. Topaz is doing everything. Yeah, and I guess this is another part of the, which we've talked about a lot in a lot of the books that we've been mm. reading, is this whole gendered labor, like. Mm. The yeah. Stephen does a lot of work around the house, but not the cooking, cleaning type no. work. Topaz um, does that. Topaz does that, and um, yeah, it's not until Topaz goes to London with Rose that Cassandra even realizes how much Topaz mm-hmm, did. Mm-hmm. And so, even though they were poor, like none of them has any get up and go. No. Yeah. Nope. Really, um, not aware people. No, not aware of the outside world, which, I mean, their father moved them to this derelict building when, like, how many years ago when they were children? Yeah. And they've had very little interaction with the rest of the world. But I would not even say it's the outside world because they lack, like, they have an appalling um, kind of just, like, not even awareness of Stephen. Yes. And everything that he does to them. And, like, the state in which he is living. His little, his sad little room. His sad little room. That was quite horrifying. And that they just are like, oh, yeah, he's just here taking care of us for free. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's just like, there's just this level of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. They're very much like blinded people. Yeah. I don't think that's a word, but. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So that's the stuff that I'm, I, but you just have discussions about this and then it's fine. Exactly. So yes, I think that in many ways, this is like a wonderful book Mm -hmm. to give to your daughter. I, um. And also like. Rose does not end up marrying Simon for his money. Right. So, so there's, there's that. There's that. There's <laughs> it that. teaches the lesson of like marrying for love yes. and not and choosing not to marry at all, even when you are in love with someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a really key part of this book too, is yeah. that at the end, Cassandra is in love with Simon. Mm-hmm. He is not in love with her, but has a moment of weakness where she thinks he might be about to propose to her. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, no. Um, I, this is not a good idea. And Mm -hmm. there's a really, really, really great line. It's like one of my favorite lines in the whole book where she's writing in her journal and it's almost over. And she says, only half a page left now. Shall I fill it with, I love you. I love you. No, even a broken heart doesn't warrant a waste of good paper. (laughs) I love that line. So good. So good. So really like teaching kind of like a self-reliance and like, Mm -hmm. you know, Love is love, but it doesn't have to rule your life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also not just to like to to want someone also to love you back as much as you love them. Mm -hmm. This is like reflections back on the blue castle again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ain't that a name? Names in the book that deserve a mention. Topaz. Topaz is a great name. Not... It's the book. Cassandra is not clear on whether or not it is Topaz's given name, but she insists that it is. She insists that it is. And Cassandra says something like, "Even if it is, there's no rule to make a woman stick to a name like that." <laughs> but as but you know, I've been trying to convince every pregnant woman I know to name their child Topaz if it's a girl. Nobody has yet done it. <laughs> but I do love the name Topaz and the character. And there's another literary Topaz that I also love that maybe mm. we will connect with later. In well, it's season. a great name for who she is in the book. Like mm-hmm. such an individual. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I would also give a shout out to Heloise just because that's a great name for a dog. Good name for a dog. Good name for a dog. Rose is a pretty typical name, but it mm-hmm. sounds warranted for mm-hmm. her. She's an mm-hmm. English rose. Like she's actually yeah. like she's that quintessential, like beautiful English rose in the countryside yep. that some rich man comes across and is like, ooh, well, I'll have this for my own. Yeah. Um, Cassandra. I like that Cassandra doesn't ever have a short form. Yeah, no one ever nicknames her. Um, And this book actually does make me really like the name Cassandra a lot more than I did before reading it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, let's touch back on the the Mortmain situation. Mortmain. Which you dislike. I agree. It's not the most... It's because it just, it sounds like too distinct. Like it just doesn't flow. I'm like Mortmain. Mortmain. I think when I was thinking about it though for this segment, the names, I was thinking... Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, because my French is rusty, but more it means death or yeah, dead. I think so. And main is hand, isn't it? Oh, is it? So is his name dead hand? And is that Maybe supposed to be the like... the hand of death. Well, because he's like a blocked writer, right? Uh, is that supposed to be symbolic, do you think? Metaphor. 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 Symbolism. It's Symbolism. <laughs> just a thought. Might be totally... I might be reaching... Who knows? Who knows? Maybe in Dodie Smith's four books. 
of memoirs. <laughs> books of memoirs. She might touch on that. She might touch on it. She's like, and I had this really clever moment <laughs> when I captured the castle. Or I called him dead hand, but in French, so nobody would know. Um, and then there's also um, the Fox Cottons. The Fox Cottons. Great, great name. Great name. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I really like the Fox Cotton's name, mm-hmm. even though she seems like a, or at least Cassandra, like on and off hates her. Yes. So hard. <laughs> the Fox Cotton's is a great name. Yep. Uh, Neil and Simon. Mm-hmm. Just not great names. Just not great names. No. Mm, not, I mean, why are we even mentioning them? But what is the butler's name? I think it's like. Graves or something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah it's like great. such a classic butler name. It's amazing. It might as well be Jeeves. Yeah, it's so good. I was yeah. like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's anybody else to mention. No, nope, I think that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yep. <clears throat> Ooh. Is there any sex in this book? Well, let's go to the sex bowl. Sorry, is there any what in this book? Here you go ahead. All right. Is there any... Ew. <laughs> Does anyone make feet for children's stockings in this book? Oh. Um, well, yes. You don't recall... Oh, yeah, Steven and Fox Cotton get it on. No, they don't. Yes, they do. She, he admits to it. This is, again, this is the thing. This is the old-timey language. Making love to doesn't mean sex back in these days. It just means, like, pre-sex out. making out or, like, wooing. Because mm. like, perhaps she interrupted it when mm-hmm. she called at 2 o'clock in the morning. I believe she did. <laughs> they could have already done it. They could have, yes. But I, that mm. okay. So there is a part where she observes her father and Topaz and rapidly flees and is like, oh. "I don't like to think of Topaz being father's wife in that way." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that she'd actually. Of course, yes, they have sex. Okay, yeah, they're he, married. She's like, "Oh, Mortmain," and like throws yeah. herself on oh, him yeah, all like throatily. <laughs> Once he uh, tells her that he's like he's so embarrassed in most of things in life, having a beautiful wife is like one of his last things. Yes, he wants her to dress up for the dinner and not dress down to make Rose look better. Yes, and um, she throws herself. And they, don't him. they have to go through his bedroom most of the time? Like <laughs> yes. they're always like through father's bedroom, and it's yeah, like they have to go to everybody's bedroom to get anywhere. <laughs> no hallways in this castle. No. Yeah. Um, which I think is funny because I'm like, how often do they get it on when everyone has to go back and forth <laughs> through the rooms? They must do it in the gatehouse. That's where he spends most of his time. Isn't I feel it? like he's really neglecting Topaz. Yeah, definitely. He definitely is. And Topaz keeps suspecting that he's having an affair. Right. With um Lita Fox Cotton. No. Oh no, with Mrs. Cotton. With no, with Mrs. Mm-hmm. Neil and Simon's right. mother. Yeah. Right, yes, yes. I yes. was confused with the cotton cotton. I was like, what? No, yes, of course they are related. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, so, but otherwise, I mean, I don't think that, well, Cassandra obviously doesn't. No, she make has a fierce make out with Stephen in the forest. She does, yeah. Gets her first kiss from Simon. Mm hmm. 
um, has a flirtation and holds Neil's hand. Right. But then I think it's safe to say that Neil and Duke and Rose. Oh, yeah, they get it on. At the end when they've gone to the seaside or whatever. I think so. I would, yeah, definitely. Which is interesting because, like... I guess they were just like, they must have really been, like, particularly Rose must have been really sure that they were going to mm-hmm. go for it because mm-hmm. she got it on with him before they got married. Yeah. She was really determined to get married to get herself something. Yeah. So she threw it all away. But she didn't. But she didn't. No. Because having sex is fine before marriage. That's fine. Right. Just do it, everybody. Everyone should do it. <laughs> it's good to know. It is good to know. <laughs> all right. right. Okay, uncomfortably close reading. Okay, an examination of literary techniques in the book, which I really haven't put that much thought into. Um, go. I always forget. <laughs> Did you just say go to me? Yeah. I don't even know how to do this one. Okay, okay. Uh, I can start it off. So I think, uh, obviously, there's lots of great imagery in the okay. book. Mm-hmm. Lots of beautiful descriptions. The castle is described from like so many different angles. Mm, yeah, it really gives you a full mm-hmm. kind of evocative sense of the castle yeah. and even the surrounding um, grounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's lots of um, one of the things that I always remember when I think of this book is bluebells. Like there seems to be so many bluebells oh, everywhere. I always yeah. think of bluebells when I think of this. Mm. Um, and even the walk, the village is described, like she gives you like the four, like the corners mm-hmm. and like tells you where the church and the schoolyard are and all that kind of things. Yeah. It's yeah. a very full imagery full book, which I think is one of the joys of it. I think it's really a summery book because mm. um, it takes place in the summer and there's like the midsummer ritual and it just, I always like, I really feel like I'm there yeah. when I'm reading it. I would have to say that the first time I read this book, I read it in the winter mm-hmm. and I did not feel the summer so much. I was mm. using it to get myself in the summer mood but I didn't but this year having read it in the summer Mm -hmm. I really like it just compounded it yeah Yeah. there's also actually one of my other favorite scenes is when Cassandra and Simon walk into town and find Rose and Neil having drinks or something Mm -hmm. outside the pub and then they have this beautiful like just casual lunch there and the children start singing at the school and it just sounds so lovely Mm -hmm. yeah and warm and even Cassandra's like this is just so perfect like this day yeah 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 um also think that there's a well we've talked a little bit before about unreliable narrators Mm. And I think Cassandra is actually a super reliable narrator. I think she's a super reliable narrator. It's just one of those things that if she hasn't figured something out, then you don't get to figure it out. Right. So she can't quite, she is not, she's not actually that young, but she doesn't pick up on the Neil and Rose situation for quite some time. She doesn't. Um, but in terms of her characterizations of everybody mm. and her, I think what makes it really great is that, because this whole book is her diary, or right. it's her journal. It's so her journal. Yep. we don't get anybody else's thoughts or perspective on anything. Yeah. But the thing about Cassandra is that she's constantly interrogating herself about why she thinks something or why she, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so she, she's really like introspective and like self-reflective and mm-hmm. She is always like, well, why do I feel like this? Maybe it's because of this. And and then sometimes she'll write down, I've just taken 10 minutes to think hard about this. And here's what I've come up with. So she's really thinking of things from all angles, Yeah, which I think makes her a really um, trustworthy. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also, I'm going to say... 
there's a heavy dose of irony in this book because Cassandra is like full on doing the thing that her dad is struggling to do. Yeah. And because her dad is a blocked writer Mm -hmm. and he's been trying to has he been trying? Uh, it doesn't really seem like he's been trying that hard, but it doesn't seem. We never really get an explanation for what the heck. What did he do with the plate? Like, what, <laughs> why did he get break broken in a train station? Yeah, we don't know. He's so he hasn't written a book since his critically acclaimed Jacob Wrestling many many years prior, and so they've all been waiting for him to turn out another masterpiece, but he just hasn't, and that's why they're yeah. so poor. Yeah. Um. So they're all you know catering to his quote-unquote genius and waiting for him to do this. Meanwhile, he, all he's doing is crossword puzzles and reading detective novels, rereading detective novels, which, I mean, I do that too. But um, while his daughter, 17-year-old daughter, is like writing a full novel in yeah. her journals yeah. um, and really working at it because she says at the beginning that she's starting it to practice writing and to yeah. practice, you know, being able to... Yeah. Mm-hmm capture descriptions and characters and all yeah, of those things. That it's from whatever she's relaying, like no one asks her about it, Mm-mm. but she's always hiding it because she thinks that they're going to read it behind her back. But it, they can't, right? Cause it's written in shorthand, but she still hides it in the tower mm-hmm. inside something mm-hmm. and moves it around. Yeah. I mean, you can decipher shorthand if you try hard enough. Yeah. Unless it's but Pittman it's, shorthand. But she does say that it's not truly like shorthand. Like, mm. so yeah, because her dad tries to read it. Yeah. And then I think Simon, she gives it to yeah. Simon and he can't read it. He can't it. read it either. Yeah. Yeah. But potentially, yes, someone over time would be able to figure out her code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Ooh, character study. Your favorite character. Why? Honorable mention. Plus, pull a card from the random character questions deck. <laughs> deck? I think I meant bowl. Um, my favorite character, well, Cassandra is probably my actual favorite character. Right. I just love her her way of describing things and mm. her um, thoughtfulness and her sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But Topaz is, as I've already stated several times, <laughs> My other favorite character. I love her. Um, I have a couple of Topaz topaz quotes. My favorite Topaz moment is when we discover that her painting of Mordmain is just orange triangles. <laughs> the orange triangles. Yeah. And it says that her... Um, there's also like a, she did a painting of Belmont Tower. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? She said in her most velvety tones. <laughs> Incidentally, when she painted the tower, she made it look like a black rolling pin on an overturned green pudding basin. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this description of her. Um, Topaz was wonderfully patient, but I sometimes wonder if it is not only patience, but also a faint resemblance to cows. <laughs> it is rather like her imperviousness to cold. Father once said she had a plush-lined skin, and there are times when I think she has plush-lined feelings. Um, and then there's a part where uh, <laughs> she's worrying that he's having an affair with Mrs. Cotton, and mm-hmm. and Cassandra's trying to say, oh no, like they're just talking about books or whatever. And she says, how, how is it he can discuss literature with her and not with me? I'm always trying to talk to him about books, but he never lets me. 
I blame father for lots of things, but not for that, because it really is agony to talk to her about books. When I was longing for a calm discussion of Tolstoy's War and Peace, she said, Ah, it's the overlapping dimensions that are so wonderful. I tried to paint it once on a circular canvas, and then she couldn't remember who Natasha was. <laughs> so she's just totally affected in some ways, but in the other aspect of Topaz is that she's super compassionate and kind and has a really down-to-earth side to her where she really wants what's best for the girls and is yeah yeah i also love when cassandra is like i know all about the facts of life no stepdaughter of topaz would like <laughs> would not know like topaz yeah. is like overshared and she's like oh <laughs> she's like i'd rather not know like <laughs> she doesn't mm-hmm. want to do it now that she knows yeah yeah um yeah topaz is amazing i would also have to say that cassandra is a favorite character i also would like to give an honorable mention to Thomas. Okay. Yeah. Thomas I, comes into his own towards the end of I that really, book. Well, they, they, because she obviously spends most of her time with Rose, but mm-hmm. once Rose leaves, eventually she comes around to Thomas, who is yeah. like, has a whole bunch of different perspectives where he's yeah. like, look, like, here we yeah. go. And then I love when they, she comes up with the crazy plan of locking the dad in the tower and she tells him and he's like, well, that's not crazy. Let's do it. <laughs> and like, he's the one who's like, she's like, oh, we shouldn't do it. Like, let's undo it. He's like, no, we're seeing this through. Yeah. He's so he's committed. Like, so committed to it. Everyone's a little, always like afraid of him and almost because mm-hmm. he is kind of has that like dogged, just like, mm, like mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So I do. And I also like when he shows the letter that Rose sends him and she just like lists every single thing that's been bought for her and all the money it costs and he's just like "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know what this letter is supposed to be yeah 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 but he's not impressed no yeah but yeah no Thomas is a great character especially when you get to know him a little better at the end yeah 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 yeah. and the part where he, he and Stephen like sort of like crash the crash, dinner party yeah. and, and, he's he like, and he gets the ham and he's like they always used to send us a ham <laughs> yeah and they're like oh you can have this ham and he's like oh I am taking this and then ham. he's like don't leave without the ham yeah and then like they said that even like at home and they're trying to like cook it he's really possessive <laughs> and it's like that poor boy is starving yeah he is. <laughs> he's gotten this ham and he is not going to let you ruin it yeah yeah so I really like Thomas all right let's go from the character character bowl which character would you want to cook for and which one would you want to cook for you Mm. Mm. this is a tricky one Mm. i would probably well honestly i would just like to cook for everyone who lives in the castle because they're so hungry (laughs) (laughs) i just like to sit them all down to a meal um, including Steven. Mm. Um, and then I think I would like to have a meal prepared for me by, doesn't honestly really feel like any of them would do that great of a job. I think it would have to be Topaz. Yeah. She's the one who does all the cooking. Yeah. I mean, unless you can choose from Scotney, which right. has all those servants that oh, are just yeah. constantly feeding Mortmain. Yes, the unnamed cook at Scotney. And the butler, too, who, like, brings brings <clears throat> Cassandra, like, the midnight meal. Mm-hmm. And, um... But if yeah. you had to pick one of the main characters... One of the main characters. I think I'd probably pick Topaz, because it would yeah. just be so weird. 
It would probably be weird. But edible because she cooks everything for everybody. And like yeah. she's the one that's keeping them a slight bit from starvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be topaz. It'd have to be topaz. Yeah. Is there anyone else you would want to cook for? No, because I think like this, this book, and I also just read a book about cooking, but this book made me really love the dinner party because I was mm-hmm. even thinking about the dinner party at Scotney. I love um, Cassandra's description of the actual dinner mm-hmm. in which the candlelight makes everything behind them like so black, except like yep. the only thing they can see are like the, the faces of the portraits of the wall, which seems really creepy, but mm-hmm. like just so in like... You know, I haven't, when we were a kid at Christmas, we would have like dinner. Actually, my parents love themselves a candlelight dinner. (laughs) (laughs) They they do. But like just that full blackness, like that there was so many candles, like it's just so evocative. Yeah. So I would want to have them all because I just love the, like that book really made me like dinner parties. Candlelit dinner parties. Candlelit dinner parties with moats swimming and Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. Records and And candlelight. Well, I look forward to your next... (laughs) You kind of have a moat situation. I do. I have a river. You have a river. I have a river. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Oh, well, we kind of already did this, but we are now at read it and eat food in the book. Oh. So we've already talked a lot about the ham. (laughs) (laughs) Talked so much about the ham. And the dinner party. And the dinner parties. Um, Stephen gives Cassandra a chocolate bar. Yes, it's Mm. very exciting. Oh, well, it's not quite the food, but we could talk about Cassandra's, like, foray into alcoholism. The cherry brandy. (laughs) The cherry brandy and the creme de menthe. Yes. And the... um, she has champagne that says it tastes like really good ginger ale. Yeah, she has champagne. And like the time that she goes to the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just wants... To, so she's upset because she's realized she's in love with Simon. Yeah. And Simon is in love with Rose and they're engaged. Mm-hmm. So when they were there on that idyllic lunch, mm. she had cherry brandy and Rose had creme de menthe, even mm-hmm. though she doesn't like it because she wanted to be able to hold it up next to her hair because she thought it would Which look she good. did. Oh. <laughs> thinks of that <laughs> a desperately poor woman trying to marry money yeah who really got and i don't know like maybe there's not it's not a favorite thing but we can talk about i would like to talk about simon now because simon is such a romantic he really is oh yeah yeah uh, such to a, a fault, ro- to I would a say. fault. <laughs> yeah like everything like in some ways i would be kind of annoyed if i was them because he yeah. just is like wow you guys like you're just so weird and quirky and cool yeah and you're just like, so boho you're so boho and like you know just everything i thought of like a weird family living mm-hmm. in a castle would be yeah and oh that yeah. creme de menthe looks so great against your complexion <laughs> yeah and he's the one when cassandra's thinking that that lunch is really amazing and perfect mm-hmm. he's the one who says it yeah um yeah he's very predictable in that way yeah and which he, makes it easy for rose to cater to it right mm-hmm. yeah and also interesting that like he's heard about the midsummer's eve ritual from rose he already mm-hmm. knew so he happens to show up for right. it and i wondered if that was really on purpose of course because he makes yeah. her go through the whole thing yeah he wants to be a part of it he wanted yeah. to be a part of it like this super romantic mm-hmm. yeah and then also um and Cassandra doesn't dwell on this, but she has noted that like every a lot of the things he thinks are romantic about Rose are actually things from Topaz. Hmm. You know, because Topaz 
picks out Rose's outfit. Like Mm -hmm. she designs, you know, talks Mm -hmm. Rose through a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of elements because Topaz is that wild, like original girl. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's really romantic to a fault and Neil just has just no patience for it. Yeah. Neil's having none of that. He just wants to go back to his ranch in Texas. (laughs) And be all mean to women. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, but we were talking about the the alcohol alcohol, Mm -hmm. because she goes back to drink the cherry brandy when she's mad Mm -hmm. at Rose strictly so that the cherry brandy will look more popular than the condiment. (laughs) I know. (laughs) She can take more out of the bottle. And she, but she also has something else. Else. Like she has two drinks. Like I think she yeah. might also have some sherry. Yeah, and something the, like that. She also drinks with the with the vicar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's and she gets really drunk and then she tells Mrs. Um, Marcy Marcy because mm-hmm. she's like drunk in her bed. <laughs> yeah, she just like goes to bed in her bed. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think other than that, I think we've covered most of the food. Yeah, yeah. Whoa there! Problematic things in the book. Oh, I have some things. All right, let's do it. There are a lot of men behaving very badly in this book, and there are a lot of women making a lot of excuses for them. Yes. So most notably, Cassandra and Rose's father and Thomas's father. Yeah. Mortmain. Mortmain. What is up with Mortmain? Like, I don't think we never get to know because Cassandra never figures it out. Mm-hmm. Because there's always, so he was a successful writer, volatile temper. Yeah, sort Um, of the stereotypical artistic genius, like temperamental artist. Had an argument with his wife Mm -hmm. while he was holding a knife. Yes. Neighbors saw and came over to intervene, jumped the fence, (laughs) and then got attacked for intervening. And Mortmain went to prison for three months. Yes. And after which he has never written a book again and right. moved them out into the middle of nowhere. Right. Which everyone was like, obviously prison did something. And he's like, oh, no, actually prison was fine. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't get that out of him for until like this, in the course of this book. So it's been yeah. years. It's right? been years that they've all suspected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. My sense really is that he was like sort of like a one-hit wonder mm. type person. He wrote mm-hmm. this very weird book called Jacob Wrestling, which they likened to James Joyce. Mm. And it was doing a lot of like interesting things with like form. And mm-hmm. there's a whole chapter that's just like f- the text is formed into a ladder shape and like all kinds of stuff. Um, if anyone out there has ever read Emotionally Weird by Kate Atkinson, it very much reminds me of the book that the professor is writing, The Expanding Prism of Jay. <laughs> well, even his new book. Yes, his new <laughs> the book. The Cat Sat on the Mat. And she's like, who would have known that writing The Cat Sat on the Mat 17 times was a good way to start a book? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he seems like a little bit pretentious, a little bit mm. like full of himself and has been overly indulged mm-hmm. for a very long by time. By Topaz, particularly. By everyone. Like, they're all afraid of him, right? Yeah, because he uh, ha- is noted to have kind of like a violent temper. Yeah, so it's his temper, and I think it's also that they're afraid, like, they walk on eggshells around him because mm-hmm. they're afraid that they're going to interfere. Like, what if he's about to start working and they do something to stop it, right? right. So yeah. they're always like, keep him happy yeah, because we need him to start working again. Yeah, well, Cassandra even tricks Topaz out of leaving him and having an affair yeah um by being like what if you do this and then he never writes again yeah like and topaz is like oh yeah like but topaz also needs to be needed yeah which is problematic but i mean that's just that doesn't necessarily 
have to be women, but it is a bit problematic, like the the woman as muse. Like, yeah, I think for sure that that is a part of Topaz's character, which in itself I don't find super problematic because of the commentary on it by mm. Cassandra. Yeah, but what I find more problematic is that Cassandra is also doing that, and Rose is also doing that, and mm-hmm. everyone is doing that, and there's less. There's a little bit of commentary about her own behavior towards her father, but. Less so. Like, she can she can see through Topaz, mm-hmm. but she's also participating in it. Yeah, until... Until she locks him in the tower. Until she <laughs> gets her brother, who's like, let's do it, and, like, locks him in the tower. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it works. It does work, which is hilarious. Hilarious. Um, and... Also, Simon. Let's talk about this for a minute. Yeah. So Simon is engaged to Rose. Yeah. He comes back for the Midsummer's ritual with Cassandra. Yeah. Maybe by accident, maybe by design. Yeah. And then he invites her to dinner at Scotney. It's just the two of them. Yeah. He puts on classical music for her and then kisses her. He puts on romantic classical music. The song is literally called The Lover. Yeah. Yeah. And he dances with her and then he kisses her. Well... I think there's a few things at work here. I think he's such a romantic that, like, caught up in the whole Midsummer's Eve thing, like, then the food. And, like, we, she is out of the book <laughs> and notes. And then the food. <laughs> <laughs> no, have the dinner. He's obviously not eating. He's already ate. Um, like, he he doesn't want the night to end, so he invites her back to Scotney. Um, it's noted that she's not, like, he's already been like, ooh, you're not the child I thought you were. Right. Like, both the brothers really like her. They yes. like her actually as a personality more than they like Rose. Because Rose doesn't have as much personality. No, and it is noted that she is good looking, mm-hmm. and I think it's... I think he's caught up in the romanticism of it because we have noted that he's problematically a romantic, but also that I think unconsciously he's aware that Rose isn't loving him back. Like he's having this mm. romantic moment with Cassandra, not with Rose. Rose has told him that he, she doesn't like music or no, he's observed that Rose doesn't like music, not realizing that it's just him that Rose is not <laughs> enjoying being around because she's pretending the other half of the time. However, extremely problematic that he kisses her without permission while he's engaged to his sister. Like he steals her first kiss. Yeah, well, no, because she's already kissed. No, that was her first kiss oh. with Simon. She, oh. Yeah, it's problematic. It's very problematic. And then she And has, that's what, and is that not the night where she falls in love with him? Yes. Yeah, so he, like, this is a very romantic night, and he does it to a girl who can't have him because he's marrying her sister. Yeah, and she makes so many excuses for him. Her reaction yeah. to it is like, oh, like... People are not to be defined merely by their words, thoughts, and actions. You know, it's, you know, he was probably, it's probably Americans do this all the time. And like, it it was just meant to be friendly. And like, she's Mm -hmm. very confused. Mm. And rightly so, because it was a totally inappropriate thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, boo Simon. Boo Simon. And I think that's also just like male privilege showing itself there, that he's caught up in this moment Mm -hmm. and he does to her what he wants, as innocent as he tries to say it is, Mm -hmm. like, not really, like, he just stole the girl's first kiss. Yeah, it's not okay. And I think that I do find it slightly problematic 
if that hadn't happened, I would be 100% on board with Cassandra realizing she's in love with Simon mm. because really they're very they do have a lot of the same interests and they have great conversations they have a lot of the same feelings mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I just find that part of it really I, I don't like that part of it at yeah all. yeah yeah, I mean, I think that unfortunately people do behave badly, and I think that he was a bit in denial over the fact that like he had fallen in love with an idea and not mm-hmm. a real person, or yeah. and not also a person who was actually in love with him. And I think he was probably like in this big romantic relationship and yet feeling alone and confused yeah. about why. So then he goes there, he has this wonderful time with Cassandra, and he falls under the spell. But he is a grown ass man, and she is, <laughs> as he has noted, a child. Yeah. Yes, with a green arm. Not anymore, but still. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so that's a bit problematic. Um, Yeah. yeah, I've already mentioned, like, the Stephen thing. Like, they just, like, take him so for granted. Yeah. I also think, like, and I think there's a bit of class issue here. Like, Cassandra only kind of a little bit admits to herself because he was their housekeeper's son. Yeah. And so the housekeeper died like the dad had to break the news to him and he's just like oh okay and then he just keeps living with them and working for them for free because he has nowhere else to go and they just take it because we learn from everyone that Stephen is remarkably good looking so good looking and incredibly competent and he's only like a year or two older than Cassandra Mm -hmm. so what in what world does a young girl grow up with such a beautiful older boy who is clearly devoted to her and Mm -hmm. not have a crush on him well, it's an interesting question. I think that it's in the movie adaptation, which FYI is terrible. Don't watch it. Um, it's really hard to see why she wants Simon over Stephen. Um. Um, but in the book, I actually do buy it mm-hmm. because we see from Cassandra's journal that she is a very thoughtful mm-hmm. um intelligent thinking person and when she meets Simon it's like a meeting of the minds right yeah and with Steven it's it's less that like yeah, he's well, she's physically pretty... attractive but I don't think they have like any really deep connection no and she's really annoyed that he keeps on giving poetry to her that he's copied from other people and like mm-hmm. she can see his wooing attempts I just think it's weird because usually at some point like we know that like she's in puberty yeah like she never yeah. even, like, for a little bit was like, wow, this is an extremely good-looking man who's... Devo-. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, no, it seems a bit unnatural. <laughs> yeah, so I... Th- but I think that, like, she does admit it's a, there's a little bit of a class thing. Like, they haven't even realized how much poorer he is living in their own house. In their own poor house. Yeah. yeah. Like, he yeah. is sacrificing, you know? And to be fair, I do think that at some point it did switch a little bit because I get the sense that his mother died when he was, really quite a child Mm -hmm. so for probably the first few years anyway it was more of a them taking care of him Mm. whereas in the more recent years there had been i think a shift where then he was supporting them or providing for them because they did talk about how their poverty hadn't been as, as bad in the past and they were slowly selling off all their valuables and stuff so i feel like when he was a child he was probably doing chores and stuff but it was probably more like 
you know, he did go to school, right? And like... Yeah, I guess, but there is that whole part that like his mother was like pounded it into him also right. that he was separate from them. Like he's yeah, always referred so to sad. Cassandra as Miss Cassandra and Miss Rose yeah. and Master Thomas, except mm-hmm. that Thomas got him to stop that a long time ago. Yeah, the girl like, you get the sense that him it. and Thomas are actually friends yeah. and like brothers. Yeah. Um, but no one else has done that. But Thomas yeah. is the youngest one who probably was like, you're the most yeah. competent person in this household. Yeah, like, and the other boy. And the like, other boy, yeah. like, they played together. Because you get the sense that Joseph has never looked after anybody. Not Joseph. Joseph. I don't know who Joseph <laughs> is. I don't know where that came from. But what a useless <laughs> jerk. He's never looked after anybody. <laughs> what is the dad's name? Um, Mortmain? Did we ever find out? We do know. It's, it's not James, is it? No. Did Perhaps it's Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. You keep talking. Hang on. All right. Because a lot of times he's just referred to as Mortmain. Yeah, because that's what Topaz calls him. Yeah. Because she likes that. It's like an affected. Yeah. No, it's James. James Ah. Mortmain. Sometimes referred to as Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) A.K.A. (laughs) Yeah. So you get the sense that he's never looked after anyone. So was Topaz looking after? Well, Topaz wasn't even probably in the picture. Yeah. Well, the mom died. Like the housekeeper came after the mom. Did she not? Mm, that's un- I'm uncertain about that. I yeah. don't know if that's ever clearly stated. Yeah. So it's unclear. Yeah. Also, can we t- talk about the mom for a minute? Yeah. I don't even remember what section we're in anymore, but it doesn't matter. Oh, there's the brutal getting the castle scene. Like, yeah. Where it, he just. Their mom is a very like non-entity, you know, like it seems well, like their dad just like. Moved right on. Well, because Cassandra was like, I can't even remember yeah, her. Yeah, that's like, the thing. And then there was a part where she said a year after her mother died, she said that she realized that she didn't miss her anymore. Mm. A year. Yeah. That's not a very long time. No. And then there's some scene where she all of a sudden can see her quite clearly. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first time in a long mm-hmm. time. But there's the how she tells about how they came to the castle. Yeah. And he just like drove them into the middle of nowhere on like this weird obsession. Mm-hmm. And the mom kept on being like, oh, turn around. Like Thomas was a baby. Yeah. And he's just got her stuck down there because she can't. Yeah. And he's just like, here we go. And she's just like, oh, this is my cross to bear or yeah. something like that. Because she knows that she will be doing all of the upkeep. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Again, and you kind of wonder why the poor woman died. Well, yeah, seriously. And it's again, it's, it's, it's Mortmain being totally indulged in mm-hmm. his self centered yeah. dickishness. Yeah. I mean, he's barely civil to them when they speak to him. Yeah. Yeah. He's really dismissive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to be doing anything, I don't have to be. I don't have to be trying to provide for my children. Yeah. I don't have to be doing any of this. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. Ooh, books with bread. I'm not sure why I'm on the show. <laughs> if this book were a Brad Pitt character, which one would it be? I look forward to your answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found this one hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the this is no connection at all, but the one that I think of is um, Meet Joe Black, okay. just because of like the opulence of like the descriptions of like the dinner mm. and like how rich the cottons are, okay. because in Meet Joe Black, like he 
Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert from <laughs> Joe Black. Weren't expecting this, were you? <laughs> he is death, who takes over well, like everybody knows. <laughs> he takes over someone's body and he like enters like cause he does it on particular because he wants to enter into the life of like a very rich man oh. and his family because he wants to experience life for a day. Beside a very rich, rich man. So he's a little bit like Rose. He's a little bit like Rose. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I have never seen Meet Joe Black, which, as you know. Yeah. Well, I always tell you, it's one of my favorite movies, and it's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredibly long for how little happens. But yeah, and there's also... yeah, they're just kind of like that family dynamic and like they mm-hmm. do a lot of dinners. Okay. Like there's all these family dinners that are happening. So it just kind of for some reason and like they have this ginormous like apartment, which is like very castle-like on top of like a huge skyscraper. Hmm. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Well, Anyways, I, I accept that. Okay. Fine. <laughs> themes? Ooh. Discuss. Any themes that you spotted? Did you spot any themes? I'm going to go with a really obvious one. Okay. Castles. (laughs) (laughs) The castle is obviously a huge, like the actual physical Mm. castle. And like we've already said, there's lots of descriptions of it from lots of different vantages and points of views. And um, we get to really go all over in and out of this castle. Um, And then the title, I Capture the Castle, I think is kind of layered a little mm-hmm. bit because yeah what do you make of the title well I think, obviously according to my book by the end she has captured the castle well i agree i think she has <laughs> I, so i think the, the 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 obvious one is she's capturing it in words right mm-hmm. she's describing it over and over and over again in right. this book and that is her goal she says mm-hmm. at the very beginning she even uses the word capture like i'm trying to capture mm. descriptions and mm-hmm. so she captures the castle in her journals and mm-hmm. she does a wonderful job of it. Um, and then I also think that I also thought perhaps, mm. and this one I don't like that much, but I did think of this when I finished the book mm-hmm. because I do feel that Simon, mm-hmm. when he just becomes a little bit self-aware, will realize that he and Cassandra are actually mm-hmm. quite suited for each other. Mm-hmm. And thus she will have captured the castle in terms of ownership. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I thought of too was there's a couple of moments where she references the fact that being alone somewhere makes the space feel different. Mm, yep. And there's a time when she's alone in the castle when mm-hmm. everyone has gone away and she's quite enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And she says it feels more like it's hers mm. when she's alone in it. So in a sense, she is like, claiming ownership well she's the one who stayed behind everyone Mm -hmm. else starts taking off from it and even at the end her decision her choice to stay as opposed to you know throwing herself at simon Mm -hmm. is again like a a claiming of the castle i feel yeah i would agree and also therefore a claiming of herself and her Mm -hmm. creativity and yeah and all of that so yeah Hmm. and then Go ahead. This isn't really a theme, but okay. I feel like we can't end without talking about the bear. Yes. <laughs> the bear. <laughs> so good when Rose, they go to get all their dead ants' furs out of storage in London. 
Oh, it's so gross. They've got like a seal skin well, jacket and a but bear. They, they go to get her clothes and they, she apparently, they were, they're shocked to discover that there are furs because she's mm-hmm. against them by the end of her life. Right. But she's kept all these old furs. She has all these old ones that like the fur shop is like, oh, I can't even sell these. Right. Like, you know, and they've got one there that like the poop is like, I think that's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Rose puts it on the train and they're hiding because they've seen Neil and Simon and they're, they don't want to encounter them because they've been snubbed by them yeah rose doesn't want to particularly encounter yeah. them so they hide behind some like shipping containers or something they hide like i think in like the compartment where you get your luggage out right. like they just duck down but <laughs> neil neil is like oh there's a bear because you can see like <laughs> rose like bent over <laughs> let's just take a moment to applaud neil's recognition of bear fur <laughs> And really, like, if you think about, like, the position of a bear, it really means that Rose was trying to hide, like, ass up. Like, she needed to tuck. (laughs) That's how they do it. Hide an ass up. So then she makes a run for it. And then she gets, like, chased by, like, what, would they have, like, a pitchfork or something? He does have, like, some kind of weapon he's chasing her with. And, like, Cassandra's like, he's gonna kill her! But everyone thinks she referred to the bear. And then he claims to have gotten the bear and that the bear has sunk in the river which i don't think many people believe because that like well, carried away with carried. carried away by the current sunk and then carried right like yeah <laughs> and it's like can't bears have both neil he's like very fatty like they're just not <laughs> yeah and everyone's like what the heck like everyone's chasing her and like we're saying her sees her like lit by someone's torch at some point she's like scamming her she's like oh she does look like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then and that was turning the tide. It was because they find her and they're going to kill her or attack her. And like then Neil realizes it is Rose and then Rose slaps him. And like, <laughs> so the guys agree to like keep it secret to, for Rose's reputation. Yeah. <laughs> and then that intrigues them again. It does. Well, it's such like who? That's a weird it's situation. A weird, it's a weird thing to do. Yeah. This better not awaken anything in me. Yeah, and I guess I think I would say like clothes, like mm. are a big theme in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the like Topaz's outfits mm-hmm. and like Rose is always coveting them, mm-hmm. and like the outfit that she first wears that seduces both boys, but then they yep. hate it the second time she wears it. Yeah, but then her going to. Um, London and getting her trousseau and like writing back to Rose um, to Cassandra about everything she gets yeah. and then Cassandra talking about her own clothes yeah. and like yeah there's lots of and Cassandra even has like a reflection about the importance of clothes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to women and yeah so yeah. I think clothes and like how you dress oneself and poor Stephen in his Greek togas and, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, Lita Fox Cotton's always is trying to get him naked. Yeah. Um, to photograph him. To photograph him. And to make love to him at two in the morning. And to make love to him at two in the morning. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, I think the clothes is, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a whole bunch of. And I do love at the beginning that they're trying to like revitalize their clothes by dyeing them green, but mm. then they get like so into dyeing that they just start dyeing everything and they're dyeing yeah. like tablecloths. And then they and, like, dye like uh, James James Mortmain's favorite like cardigan. <laughs> it's like a really disturbing color, and he's not too happy about it. Yeah. Also, so from clothes to appearances, mm-hmm. um, the beard. Oh yes, the, the be- beard. The beard. Simon 
is, has a disgusting beard. So his beards just were not in fashion. I think I guess so because we find out that he has a beard on a bet. And then he just decided to keep it. Right. And everyone is super grossed out by it. Mm-hmm. Including like when they're at Scotney for dinner, like one of the maids is like horrified <laughs> by the beard. Like it's like, oh. And Cassandra's <laughs> like, how could you marry a man with that beard? And then when they go to see the school children after they've heard them sing, the children are afraid of Simon because of the beard. Like everyone's Aww. like, what is that thing? And then Rose makes him shave it off before she'll agree to marry him. Yeah. And also there's the devil imagery because apparently. Yes. It's quite pointed and his shadow at some mm-hmm. point looks like the devil. Yeah. And then they're worried that that like Rose has invoked him somehow. Mm, right. Well, it's, that was the other theme I was going to mention was like paganism. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yes. there's a lot of like, you know, Topaz is her like communing with nature in with her plush light and skin and not yeah. much else on the at night. She goes out mm-hmm. like running around naked. There's the pagan ritual that they do on Midsummer. Um yeah, and then Rose kisses the like the gargoyle, gargoyle, which is apparently an angel statue. But she's like, "What's well, fine?" But she literally does invoke the devil. Mm-hmm. That's what she's doing. She's yeah. trying to sell her soul yeah. to Satan yeah. for money. And then that very night, the Cottons arrive, and Simon's shadow on the wall with his pointed beard looks, looks very like devilish. devilish. Yeah, yeah. So she makes him shave it off, and everyone's surprised to see that he is. Still good looking underneath it, even better apparently. Better, yeah. Um, even though Cassandra is not, and that's actually our first indication that she, because she she misses the beard a little bit mm. too. Mm-hmm. So she liked a little bit of his like difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, but yeah. yeah, interesting. There's um, I don't know. If this is, doesn't really count as a theme, but I also just wanted to mention that there's just so many good um, conversations between a lot of the women in the book, like mm-hmm. just sort of like life reflections and, and Cassandra and Rose have their, um, sort of their like Judy, like their dress form. Mrs. Blossom. Mrs. Blossom. They've given her a personality and she gives them advice and like this like specific and accent. Cassandra does her voice, but yeah. she doesn't even know where it comes from. And yeah, it sometimes just, yeah. it says to her things that she didn't know herself. Yeah. 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 And so there's just like a lot of time spent in this book um, reflecting, I think, mm-hmm. which I really love. Yeah. It's yeah. not heavy handed. It's all very, like, it seems very natural and, yeah. um, but it's much more than just like a straightforward story. Like this happened and this happened. It's like a lot of little detours into like musings and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Anything else? Oh, the promptable is done. Promptable is done. So for our Final segment. Let's judge this book by its cover. Let's do it. We've got three covers here. Three covers. These are all pretty contemporary covers. Yes. Yeah. So the book was done in 1948. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's something else I wanted to mention um, briefly is that Dodie Smith wrote this book when she was living in America. Oh. And you can really tell like it's infused with such nostalgia mm-hmm. for England because she was mm-hmm. really homesick. And I think that's part of what makes all the imagery and descriptions so like evocative and beautiful because she was really just conjuring that up, probably as much for herself as for the reader. Right. So mine is a first Wednesday books edition, September 2017. So it is a hardcover yellow book with a... Um, what would you call this? Um, embossed. Ooh, embossed. 
embossed uh, front with a blue castle and a pen nib with the kind of moat flowing through it and the small figure of Cassandra in the middle of this kind of um, rolling landscape. So I quite enjoy this, this bright yellow and the, um, the green and the blue, so I was really attracted to the colors. Not so attracted to the Forward by Jenny Han sticker that was on the front that I tried to take off and then ripped the front cover. So I will be complaining about that. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> As I should. And yeah, so, and the, the Wednesday's books, actually, I have to say, just a side note, that mm -hmm. their logo is quite cute. It is cute. A yeah. little, little W. And then we have another version here. This is your book that, um, this is one of yours because you have several. I do. So this I, one, what I would you like to say? It's hideous. I would like to say that I really dislike books that have photographs of people on them. Mm. That's a bad look. I don't like books that have photographs on them. I also don't like books that have like scrolly written like yes. um, background. Background. Like you went and got like a scrapbooking kit at yes. Michael's. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this this one, uh, it's also like bright red or no, like bright orange bright red. It looks like the castle red. is on fire. Like it if you were to look at this book, you would think there's going to be a fire at the castle at some point. Like you'd be expecting it. Yeah. And like, okay, also it's not how I want to picture Cassandra. And it's got a really weird strip at the top. First of all, she's wearing a modern shirt. She is wearing a very modern shirt. She's got straight hair. Like, she looks like she could be a teen in, in today's time. Yeah. Yeah. And then the back cover, horrifyingly. Oh, it's just with the same girl's face, but huge. Huge. Very like, huge. So at the very beginning, at the very top of the cover, it says definitions. And it says capture. Yeah. The act of seizing as a prisoner, dot, dot. And there's only two dots, even. It's not even a proper ellipsis. But what is... Like what a, is that? What is that? And then in the back, it also has definitions defining the best in fiction. How many dots? Three. Three okay. dots. Good. Yeah. Um, this is, so this is, I guess, a definitions... It's a Red Fox Definitions. Yeah, not a fan. No, we're not a fan. This one came out in... 2001 so we're okay. not we're not cool with that one no there are actually a lot of editions of this book so the one the one that i have that i prefer is a vintage um classics edition which was published in 2012 i believe um and its cover is great it's blue and sort of fire lit it's a black silhouette of the castle and all the windows are lit up as though by like candles or firelight and but not in the sense that it's on fire. No, definitely one. more of a candlelight, like a romantic light. Mm -hmm. And in each window is a silhouette of one of the characters. So at the top, I mean, it's not super accurate in terms of where they're positioned. At the top is Mort Main, also known as James or Joseph, <laughs> and he's hunched over a book wearing appears to be like a plaid shawl. Mm -hmm. um, and then underneath him is Rose. Mm -hmm. And then underneath her, it's Topaz with her loot. Well, I like roses because I just want to go back to it because mm -hmm. it's very much, um, she's like the fairy tale girl waiting for like, she's in bed, like almost waiting for like her prince to come along and yep. kiss her. Mm -hmm. And like, she's, she's looking up. She's very expectant. She is very expectant. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Topaz, very absorbed in her lute playing. With her very long hair. With her very long hair. And then at the very bottom in the kitchen, sitting in what looks like the bathtub, is Cassandra writing and Heloise sitting with her and there's like washing hanging over the stove. Um, and then outside you can see the moat with the swans and a tree and mm -hmm. 
It's got some stars in the sky. It's very nice. Um, I would also like to say the vintage logo is Silhouette of a Cat, which That's I quite enjoy. cute. Mm-hmm. And my edition comes with some paratext at the back. There's like a who's who in the book. There's um, a quiz. There's a little biography. And there's some things to think about. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of these questions. Okay. It's a little pop quiz. Pop quiz. Okay. Um, what do you think about Cassandra's dislike of a brick wall happy ending? Well, I see her point. And it's interesting because though I like the end of this book, I realize I perhaps am one of those people who does kind of like a brick wall <laughs> happy ending. Because even though I didn't want her to end up with Simon, mm-hmm. I hate it when it kind of trails off and it's like this is this as much as the story as you get but there's not more like it's not tied up neat it's not tied up neat no and I understand why an author would do that and I know a lot of people like it I just I'm someone who loves to know everything so I'm always (laughs) like what you can't tell me that there's more (laughs) like I know people when things are brick wall endings are Mm -hmm. um like that's not actually the end of the story but I like it when everything's tied (laughs) up or when uh, yeah. I mean, I also like a good cliffhanger, as we've talked about with Stranger Things. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I like me a good cliffhanger, but I like knowing that there's still more to come. So if there had been a sequel to this book, you would have been all over it. Well. You're like, well, no. <laughs> no, well, I honestly, I am that person because there's been books I've read where I've read, like, the first book is really good. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, don't read the sequel. Right. that can happen. And eventually... Then it ruins the first one. Have to know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here's another question. This one is more of a quiz. This is just test okay. your knowledge of the book. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Um, how does Mortmain describe the way Cassandra is holding the present of the ham? Like a baby? <laughs> yes, I believe. Hold on. And that's when they the discover answer. that they're in like the chauffeur. Like the chauffeur could still hear them. They're yeah. all like, <laughs> like she's nursing her firstborn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, which um, I share this um, this thought with Cassandra, and I like the way she phrased it. So the question is, why does Cassandra like flat country? Oh, this something about the sky. Um, the sky is not like so hemmed in or something like that. Yeah, it close. It's because it gives the sky such a chance. Ah, yes. Yeah, I love that. Actually, there was a few moments in the book where I was like, oh, I've had that thought. I've had that oh. thought. And like, um, I used to always be obsessed with the idea, much as Cassandra and Rose are, that if you imagine something, it won't happen. Mm. So they're always like, well, now I've imagined that it's not going to happen. Right. And I used to think that all the time when I was younger. Um, and then doesn't Cassandra find that something that she imagines does come true? And yeah. she's like, what? I thought this couldn't be. Yeah. It's when she goes for the walk with Steven and oh. she had imagined oh, asking yeah. him to go on a walk and then she does and they do. And she's like, well, here, there goes that theory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I kind of like that because I mean, sometimes, yeah, people are like, oh, if you th- also, if you think a bad thought, it will come true. Right. So yeah. it's interesting. You think a good thought, it's not going to come true, but you think a bad thought, yeah. it's going to come true. I've always found that contrary. It is. I think for me, it was always like, actually, this is maybe going to sound a bit pretentious, but the first time I heard it really articulated for me was in The Garden of Forking Paths, which is a story by Jorge Luis Borges. I don't know if I'm saying his last name I like right. how it rolled off your tongue there. Oh, thanks. But he says in, the, in that story, he says um, something like, 
reality never coincides with our, our anticipation of it. Therefore, to imagine a thing is to prevent its happening. Mm. And if I had, it's a, it's a sign of my backwards reading childhood that I read The Garden of Forking Pass before I read I Capture the Castle. But um, I feel like this articulates it in mm-hmm. much a, a much simpler way of like there it's a it's a running theme in the book that they're right. always like if I imagine this it won't happen if I imagine this won't happen but right it's really just the specifics right like yeah because she does end up going for the walk with Stephen but it's not it's not as it's not exactly the way she thought right yeah well and that's so often happens with things even when you plan things they're ne- they never turn out the way you plan them mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yeah all righty all right well, that's it, everybody. Ta-da. Ta-da. Thank you so much for listening. We were a bit rambly with this one. It had mm-hmm. been a little while. We mm-hmm. weren't in quite in our groove. We weren't in our groove, but we're, we're back in it now. We're back in it now. I feel it. I feel it. Now we just had to read the last book <laughs> and do right. the podcast. Yes. Uh, yeah. So um, if you want to talk with us, discuss with us, whatevers, uh, you can find us on Twitter at StoryGirlsTweet. Uh, Instagram at Story Girls Podcast, or uh, do have an email? I think we do have an email <laughs> that we have mentioned several times. Uh, Story Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Um, so yeah, you can let us know. You can give us a vote on your favorite cover of I Capture the Castle, mm-hmm. um, and join us next time for our discussion of We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. And we will see you next time. Yeah. And of course, as always, thanks to Rob, our sound engineer, and you for listening. Bye.